I want to start off today with a poll. All right, I want to see who the biggest Christmas excited person is, okay? Uh, who gets the most excited about Christmas? So I want everyone to raise your hand. Everyone, everyone raise your hand. Um, if you don't start listening to Christmas music until the week of Christmas, like me, until the week of Christmas, put your hand down. So if you start listening to Christmas music the week of Christmas, um, if you start listening to Christmas this week at the beginning of December, if that's typically when you start listening to Christmas music, you can put your hand down. If you start listening to Christmas music the day after Thanksgiving, put your hand down. How many of you legitimately, 100%, you are not lying, listen to Christmas music in July constantly? I see one, two, Lily, you're doing this. I don't know, jazz hands. What's going on up there? All right, so we've got three, four. Okay, who has already put their Christmas tree up? Oh, that, that people that are left. Sorry, we need to, we've got three or four people. You, you don't have your Christmas tree up? You've got your Christmas tree up? When'd you put it up? Okay, when'd y'all put your Christmas tree up? All right, come on down. Come on down. I've got a book for you. Who's, oh, you're in the dark, Pat. When'd you put your Christmas tree up? Get back up there, Pat. <laughs> Pat, here, Matt, will you run this up to him? That's a little devotional book by Jared Wilson. That's all you, dude, I literally cannot see anybody up there. It's just dark. That's why y'all need to get closer, bro. All right. Um, so um, thank you for participating uh, in that. Historically, I have not been one to get that jazzed up about Christmas. If you know me, um, you know that I typically don't get too jazzed up until about the week of Christmas. I, man, am all about it uh, the week of Christmas. And so every time the Advent season comes along uh, in church, it just takes me a minute to really get into it. I remember going to church in high school right when I got saved. It was the first year, uh, and it was the last Sunday of November, and the church choir started singing Silent Night in November. And I was like, wait, what are, what are we doing here? Like, did they get their months confused on, like, when they thought it was? And so I turned to my friend uh, who was sitting next to me, and I said, hey, why are we singing Christmas music in November? And he says, duh, it's Advent, bro. And I was like, what's Advent? Like, I just had no idea. But as the years have gone on, I, have, I am still not a huge fan of Christmas music, but I am completely bought into the idea of our minds and our souls entering into a time of waiting and celebrating the arrival of Christ. That Advent is a time where we as followers of Christ reflect on what it means that the people of God waited for years for a Messiah to come. And we on this side of the cross get the privilege of proclaiming, yes, he has come. Uh, so let me give you a little background on Advent, because if you're like me, you have no idea. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which comes from the Greek word parousia, which means coming or arrival. It both refers to the incarnation of Christ and the return of Christ, the two different comings of Christ. And throughout church history, the church has set aside four weeks leading up to Christmas to celebrate the coming and arrival of Jesus Christ. Now, no one really knows when Advent started. There are 
many who believe, so the prominent belief, is that it was as early as the 4th century. The story goes that once the date was set for uh, Christmas to, become, uh, to be December 25th, which, by the way, no one believes that Jesus was born on December 25th. I hope you guys know that. Um, most, there's some people who believe that he was actually born in March, around the time of Easter, but no one can prove that. No one knows. Um, but in the Greco-Roman Roman world, December 25th was the date um, when the days be, started to become longer and there was more light during the day. So one of the theories is that the Roman Empire instituted a holiday on this day called the Rebirth of the Unconquered Sun, or Sol Invictus. And so what developed over the next few centuries is that you have two holidays that were fixed on the church calendar. You've got Easter and you've got Christmas. And so for Easter, you've got Good Friday, you've got Palm Sunday, these events that lead up to Easter. And then for Christmas, you've got Advent. Now, Another theory, which this is fascinating. I know I'm going a little Sunday school on you. Bear with me. Um, it's, it's also believed that the Advent was created to combat a heresy that was spreading in the church in the late 300s. Uh, this heresy was called Priscillianism. Priscillian, the creator of the heresy, is actually the first heretic to be executed. Just a little interesting fact for you. He taught that the spirit was good and came from God and that the body was evil and therefore came from the devil. So he rejected the idea that Jesus had a physical body, because according to him, this would mean that Jesus would have had to be from the devil. And so thus, he denied the true humanity of Jesus. And at the Council of Sargossa in 380, you see the denial of that heresy. You see the clarification of the incarnation, and you see an encouragement for Christians to celebrate the incarnation of Christ. So there are some that believe that Advent— was created around the same time to ensure that a right doctrine of the incarnation was taught in churches, that Jesus was both fully human and fully God. Now, how we have gotten to what we have today in Advent, no one really knows. It's kind of changed over the time. But in today's Advent, you have four candles, and they each represent something different. We are not going to do a live fire in here. This is in our building too many kids running around. So uh, when you walk in each week, you'll see candles up on the screen. Uh, but today, um, we will cover the prophecy candle by looking at Isaiah 9. And then next week, we'll look at the Bethlehem candle. Uh, the week after that is the angel's candle. And then on December 24th, Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the shepherd's candle. There are four words that tend to be associated with Advent, fo focusing on different characteristics um, of our faith. And those four words are faith, our hope, love, joy, and peace. And today, we'll be looking at the word hope, the hope of Christ. So, prophecy candle, hope of Christ, Isaiah 9. Here we go. Let me read it to you, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. And the former time he brought into contempt, contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. To the people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day 
of Midian, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal, listen to this last verse, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, well, in order to understand Isaiah chapter 9, we must understand what is happening at the end of chapter 8. So if we're going to talk about the light of Jesus, the hope of Jesus in our advent, then we first have to understand the great darkness that covers the book of Isaiah. And to do that, we have to go backwards. So look just a couple verses back at Isaiah 8, 21. And let me read this to you so you can get a context here for Isaiah chapter 9. Um, Isaiah 8, 21 says, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth. But behold, the stress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Okay, so in this moment, the people of God, they face the judgment of God. If you were here last week for our prayer and praise service, you'll remember that in Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the glory of God And he repents, and then God asks, who shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God goes on to tell him, hey, the people, their hearts are going to be dull. Their eyes are going to be blind. Their ears are going to be heavy. They will hear but not understand. They will see but not perceive that the people of God in the book of Isaiah, they have rejected God, and they've begun to worship false idols. And so at the end of chapter 8, you have the pronouncement of judgment Judgment as God sends them into exile. Assyria is coming to destroy them. Assyria was big, bad, and powerful. They were brutal. And so the people of God, they're going to turn against one another. They're going to be distressed. They're going to be hungry. They're going to turn against their king, and they will be thrust into darkness. It is not a good time for the people of God. And the end of verse 21 and the beginning of verse 22, they're they're interesting, right? I mean, they're kind of stunning. It says they will turn their faces upward, and then it just says, and they will look to the earth. It's this idea that in the midst of their distress, their hunger, they they look to God, but they have no help from him. They have no help from God, and so when they look to the earth, all they find is darkness, the judgment of God. It's stunning. And here's the reality of the Christmas season For many people, as we get closer and closer to the end of the year, as the days are darker and the days are harder, for many of us in this room, we feel the darkness. We feel the pain and the suffering, the loss of a loved one, the pain that a loved one goes through, the the weight of a disappointing year, of a hard year, a a weight of disappointment in not reaching the goals that you made at the beginning of the year, the loneliness that comes with this season. And it feels like we look to God and he's not there and we ask, has God forgotten about me? Is there no light at the end of this dark, dark tunnel? And right now, when you think about the future, some of you in here, when you think about the future, when we talk about these four words, there is no love in sight. There's no joy to be had. 
There's no peace to be had. There's no hope. And although some of you might feel like you are in that place, I want you to know, especially as we enter the season, God's intention is not for you to stay there. God's intention is not for you to stay in that darkness. As we see here in Isaiah 9, his intention is to move you from darkness to light. Isaiah 9 is not a continuation of chapter 8. Isaiah 9 is an interruption to what's happening in Isaiah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. In Isaiah 8, you have judgment, hunger, distress, gloom, darkness. But then in chapter 9, God interrupts through Isaiah. He interrupts the narrative to tell them about their future. He says in verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Gloom, in case you don't know what that means, it means partial or total darkness. That The text literally reads that there will be no total darkness for you. This is God telling his people, your gloom will end, your anguish will be done. And he goes on to say, there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt. That's the language of judgment. Contempt in the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nation. So you're like, okay, why is that important? Zef, uh, Zebulun and Naphtali were the first to fall to the kingdom of Assyria. Assyria, massive empire that was brutally violent. They came in and they pushed the people of God out of their land and God sent his people into exile, right? So here is what he's saying here. For these regions, there will be pain. There will be darkness. You are in contempt. You are in judgment. But then he says, but in the latter days, there is hope. And years later, we read this in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, 13. When we get to the Gospels, talking about Jesus, it says, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be Fulfilled, And here's what he says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness. They have what? Seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. God says, I'm putting contempt on you. I'm bringing my judgment on you. But he says, in the latter days, behold, Galilee of the nations, the light will come. And years later, Jesus would declare, the light is here. No more gloom, no more anguish. Your hope is fulfilled. And then what you get through the gospels is this prophecy coming true. Jesus bringing light to the nations and moment after moment after moment, like in the gospels, we get the privilege of seeing this text come alive. And in Luke 5, a man with leprosy comes up to Jesus. I don't know if you remember this story. He falls on his face and the scripture says that he begged Jesus. He begged Jesus, hey, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. That, that word uh, will is better translated, if you desire, if you are willing to. And so he comes up to him, this guy with leprosy who cannot talk to his family. He's been abandoned by his family. When he goes into the public space, he has to yell, unclean, unclean. No one can touch him. He comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, if you are willing, if you desire to, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus say? He says, I will. It's the word for desire. I desire to make you clean. He's, he's bringing light 
into the darkness, the people who are in anguish, who are in gloom, total darkness. And in the very next moment in Luke, Jesus is teaching in a house, uh, and there's these guys who bring their paralyzed friend on a bed, and uh, it's so packed they can't get to Jesus. So if you remember the story, what do they do? Well, naturally, they drop him through the roof. And so they put him literally right in front of Jesus, and what does Jesus tell him? Your sins are forgiven. And so we learn there that not only is he pushing back the physical darkness of this world, but he's pushing back the spiritual darkness as well, that he has power over all domains. He is the king. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is um, in Luke 7, Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. He's teaching. They're really having a debate. And Luke 7 says, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner came in. Um, and that word behold there is, is there because she's not supposed to be there. A woman like that in a place like this doesn't fit, which I can imagine there are at least some in here who might feel that way. What am I doing in a place like this? And so it says um, this woman, Jesus is reclining in the house and she goes straight to Jesus she doesn't come up to Jesus and she doesn't say anything. She doesn't explain why she's there. The text just tells us that she starts weeping. Um, Luke uses the word for rain, that the tears rain down. And then she starts to unbind her hair, which you didn't do that um, if you were a woman. You only did that if you were with your husband. And she uses her hair as a rag for Jesus' feet. She puts perfume on it. Um, and then she kisses his feet. His feet. The word kiss there is kata, phileo. Kata means with, and phileo means love. And so she takes this perfume, and she wipes, she cleans Jesus' feet with her hair. And do you remember what Jesus told her? Luke seven forty eight. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. This girl who had no hope walked into a place where she probably felt like she didn't belong. She goes straight to Jesus she just worships. She just worships the king. And he meets her in that place. And the light pushes back the darkness. Moment after moment, Jesus brings light. He brings hope that turns into joy when we didn't know that we could have it. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shown. And so let me ask us, are you living in the former days or in the latter days? Where have you placed your hope? Because where you place your hope is directly correlated to your experience of joy. That's why you can have joy without happiness. If you place your hope in something that can't bear the weight of it, then hope is a confusing term for you. You don't really know what that experience is like. If you put your hope in your spouse or even your future spouse, if you're single, if you put your hope in your kids, in your job, if you put your hope in success in this life, even if you put your hope in the thought that you can earn the favor of God, that your good works earn you some kind of merit. But where you place your hope is a directly correlated to your experience of joy. So if you're, putting, if you're putting your hope in something that can't bear the weight of it, then you have no shot at joy. That there is only one person that can bear the weight of your hope. There is only one person that can truly push back that darkness because there's one person 
who has not put any conditions on their love for you. There's one person who's not put any conditions on their love for you. And the prayer is that when the light consumes us, the gospel of grace, it moves us into this place of hope where we believe, we have faith that Christ is stronger than the gloom that consumes us, that the love of Christ is stronger than the anguish, that the love of Christ is strong in us to move us out of those dark places into hope, into a place where you think about this. When you, when you look to the future, like legitimately, when you think about the future next week, next month, a year from now, five years from now, when you think about the future, hope produces this joy that says, I trust him. I know that's what's coming is good. It's for his glory and it's for my good. Hope moves us into this place of faith. I believe God. I know that he's real. I know that he's true. I know that he came and I know that he's coming again. Hope is strong, but without hope, man, life is dark. Um, one of the reasons I've come to love this text in Isaiah is because all throughout it, it alludes to this cosmic war that we are caught up in between, between the darkness and the light. And in this war, one, we can expect that there'll be brokenness, right? We can expect that in this war, there will be darkness. But we have to remember as we enter into the season, the leaders of this war are not equal. It's not like yin and yang. It's, it's not as if we're crossing our fingers, hoping for the good guy to win. It's a war that's actually already been won for us. Yet we are fooled into believing that we have to succumb to this darkness, that we have to live without hope. And look, I'm just going to be honest with you. I had a couple people mention to me. I call myself the Christmas Grinch. Apparently, I said I hated Christmas last week. Um, but, and that was not clear, okay? Uh, that's not true. But if I'm being honest, like, little cute baby Jesus just really doesn't do it for me. Um, like, it really doesn't get me too amped up. Um, I know that's not everyone. Some of you love little baby Jesus, and I'm glad that it makes spurs you on into faith, but that's just not me. And I think it's because, you know, I don't have kids. Babies terrify me. They just, they just terrify me. Like they got that soft spot on their head and I'm always afraid like because I'm a pastor, everyone thinks I just want to hold their babies and I'm like, look bro, you don't want me to hold your baby. Like if I drop your baby, that's our story. We don't get past that. That is our relationship from that time on. I am the guy who dropped your baby on the soft spot, okay? And so, um, yeah, babies for me. It's a little baby Jesus. I love incarnation. I could talk about the theology of incarnation all day, but little baby Jesus doesn't do it for me. But I found this this week. Listen to John's description in Revelation of the Christmas story. This is the Christmas story according to Revelation. It speaks to the importance of the birth of Christ and also this cosmic war and what's happening in the domains. Revelation 12, 1. Check this out. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Check this out. The great dragon stood before the woman who is about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave, a birth, she gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. 
But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. I have no idea what that means. Don't ask me. But look at verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. Remember Genesis 3, the serpent. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brother has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Check this out. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Did you hear that? The devil has come down because he knows that his time is short, that destruction is what comes to him, and he knows it. And here's what we have to understand, that really God really spoke to me this week. The birth of baby Jesus is not just the invasion of the darkness. The birth of Christ, God becoming a man, is the conquering of the darkness. So what's actually happening in Christmas is the culmination of this cosmic war where God aims to fulfill the promises he's made to us for his glory, for his name's sake, among all nations, for our good. It is the overthrowing of the enemy that aims to cause chaos and brokenness in our lives. Baby Jesus isn't just a cute story. It's a story of a conquering king who put on flesh that was sent by the father who keeps his promises to set us free. And if we can grasp that, that Christmas is the story of a conquering king, if we can grasp that, we have a place to put suffering. If we can grasp that, we have a place to put pain. Because you're not strong enough to bear it. You're incapable of making yourself have hope. You're incapable of white-knuckling yourself to victory over sin. But if you can grasp the idea that God became a man, died, and rose from the grave, and is coming back, you have a place to put your suffering. Because he has bore the weight of it. He's carried the grief that you have. He suffered for your sake. It's this belief right? Not only in the first advent, but also in the second advent, that if he has kept his first promise, then he's also going to keep his second, right? That there will be a day where there will be no more tears. We will be in the temple, and the temple is is Jesus, the glory of God, where we experience nothing but joy, nothing but peace. And if he's kept his first one, then we know that he's going to keep his second one. I mean, look at verse six, for to us a child is born, To us, a son is given. Uh, This was really interesting. Check out the language of this, right? It's interesting. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Is born, is given. So on one hand, maybe it's just me that I'm learning out on this, but on one hand, it would seem that the child is, is born like any other child. He's a normal child, completely natural. But on the other hand, 
this child is given, right? That, that someone gave this son. What does that make you think of? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. And so, so verse 6, is, it's talking about this, that we can track the sovereign plan of God, the sovereign plan of God to give his only son, that all throughout the Old Testament, remember this promise from David, someone is coming, someone is coming, someone, of, someone is coming, and the gift of Christ is God's declaration that the darkness has been consumed and has been defeated. The Bible speaks to this idea over and over. It's filled with interruptions of darkness to light. Um, if you pay attention, you'll, you'll see them all over the place. One of my favorites is Ephesians 2, where he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then here's your interruption. Just like Isaiah 9, here's your interruption. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, that the pinnacle of darkness is that we are dead in our sins. We are dead, surrounded by blackness. You can't see when you're dead. You can't hear when you're dead. You can't move. You can't do anything to make yourself undead. And the gift of Advent is that while we were dead, Jesus came and he has made us alive. And this salvation from sin and darkness, it's a gift of grace. Paul says, nothing of our own doing. By grace, you have been saved. The light came because he loves you. Um, I heard several times this week, um, just on my social media feed all the time, you know, um, this country, it's just, it's just headed to a bad place. Um, that it seems like the darkness is just guaranteed to take over. If we don't do something now, then... then then God's going to lose. I love the text, this text, where it says the government shall be upon his shoulder, that he bears the weight of the future of the world. He's in charge. He sits on the throne. Congress, Senate, the president, they can make their little laws, but at the end of all things, it is King Jesus that will reign. So I'm thinking, you know, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of where this country's headed? That's okay, Jesus isn't. He knows exactly what's going to happen, and it will be as he pleases. Are you afraid of the hurt and pain that you have lost somebody? You, you are suffering legitimately. This season is tough. He's the wonderful counselor. Something interesting about that phrase is that the English language combines it, but really it's two different descriptors. Wonderful, which is really the word wonder, um, which communicates the idea of supernatural, that there's wonder in God. He, he is beyond human comprehension. That when we encounter the living, living God, it leaves us in wonder because it's supernatural. There's nothing like him. And then counselor, that he guides us in our pain. He leads us to hope. That he counsels us with wisdom and guidance. Are you afraid of, um, are you afraid that in the end, You'll never escape that sin. That thing that you love, that you hate that you love it, but you go back to it over and over again. He's the mighty God. 
it's good to remember that he's stronger than you are. He's stronger than us. I think I, I'm, I, I'm guilty of, I tend to pray based on what I think I'm capable of. So I set goals that I know that I can accomplish. I think I'm afraid to fail. Let's pray based on who he is. That he spoke to the winds and the waves as if it was a child. He's the mighty God. He placed the stars in the sky and then he's the everlasting father. Now this one can be a little confusing because you're like, okay, wait, how is Jesus the father? Um, Another way this can be translated is he is the father of eternity. Eternity. It communicates the idea that he is the one that possesses divine perfection for all of eternity. Therefore, he is everlasting. And lastly, he's the prince of peace. Peace between God and humans lasted for two chapters. That was it. In Genesis 3, it all fell apart. But the king who has come, he brings the peace back. He restores, he renews. And then check this out, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and how long? Forevermore. If you can remember the covenant that was made with David from our last series in 2 Samuel 7, which this is why I want to do a series over because it's talked about all throughout the Bible, that here in Isaiah, he points back to that covenant with David, that God promised David, I'm going to establish your line forever, that this roots back to the Abrahamic covenant, where God said, now I'm going to bless all the nations, all the families of the earth through you, Abraham. And we in 2023 are living in that reality, that God has kept his promise. There are 3 billion Christians in the world. Did you know that America is not the biggest population of Christians? That belongs to South America and Africa. The church in China and Iran are growing faster, almost, not quite, but almost as fast as it is here in America. God is global. He has kept his promise to bring the gospel to the nations. And then I love that he ends this text. The text ends by the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Remember, they're in darkness. They have no hope in this moment. And Isaiah is reminding them, you know, the king that's coming is not going to be like the king you have now. The king that's coming will be the final king. And he will reign forever. And his kingdom will expand the whole earth. And this kingdom will not be marked by corruption. These things that we see all the time, it will not be marked by corruption or self-seeking, but it will be ruled by justice and righteousness. That God has been ruling over every event and every moment in all of history. Every event in your life, in the life of this country, in the life of the world, every event you see on the news, and God has never asked for advice. He's never logged on to Salesforce and gone, who should I follow up with today? He's never called for a strategy session. He does as he pleases, and this is good news for us. This is good news for us. And he does this. He sent his Messiah, King Jesus, out of his zeal because he was enthusiastic to accomplish his purpose to bring us into the light, that we can root ourselves in the reality that when it seems like darkness is winning, we can be assured, we can have hope, we can have hope that God's purpose in our lives will prevail. That Isaiah reminds us, lastly, that he's the Lord of hosts. He's the commander of heaven's army. I mean, can you picture that? 
Jesus ruling his kingdom in heaven with the host of angels at his disposal. And we here in this moment, we have the privilege to look back and say he did it. But the people in Isaiah, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to look. They've looked to God, nothing. They look to the world and it's darkness. It's without hope. And we get the privilege of looking back and going, wait, he did it. Isaiah here is going, stop. Look to the future. And brothers and sisters, over the next several weeks, if, that's, if we could do that with one another, if we could, one, be honest about the gloom and the darkness and the pain and the suffering, but two, that we would be the church that says, stop. Look to Jesus. Look to the gospel. There is hope for you. So can we do something? Uh, and I'm preaching to myself here as much to you. Can we just get amped up for Christmas? I mean, I, let's do it. Let's just get amped up for Christmas, that over the next few weeks, God would anchor us in the gospel of Christmas, the good news that Jesus has come, that when we think about the future, we meet it with faith in our God, the kind of faith that experiences love, joy, and peace. The very last thing I'll say, and this is directly aimed at those of you who, who do feel the weight of the darkness. You feel the pain. Um, our prayer is that in this season, you would see the light of Christ. Your circumstances may not get fixed. Myself or no one else is going to be able to explain to you why what is happening in your life is happening. We can give you some ideas and look at scriptures together, but we can't explain to you. But what I want you to know is that if God has brought the light that we can read about in our scriptures, that he talks about all throughout the Old Testament, if we can believe that is true, then you can also believe that God is with you right now, that he has not forsaken you, he has not left you, that he is present with you, so you are not alone. And Isaiah 53 talks about he has bore our grief on the cross. The grief that you carry, he holds on to it. And he comes to you and he meets you and he heals you and he brings you hope. And when you do think about the future, you know that there is joy there. You know that there is love and you know that there is peace. And so if we could do something over the next few weeks, could we just remind one another as the days are dark and life is hard, remind one another, hey, we have a king who is better than anything else and he has a place for your suffering. He has a place for your grief.